dinner parties, cocktail parties, tuxedos, espionage, World War II war criminals, love, deception, murder, infiltration, and secret plans are all in Alfred Hitchcock's 1946 spy movie, Notorious. Hi, this is Dan Silvestri. Tom Pizzotto. And our guest co-host today, Bill Koenig. Here we are from SpyMovieNavigator.com and our show, Cracking the Code of Spy Movies. Bill joined us on our February 1st episode when we decoded The Man Who Knew Too Much. Today we decode another Hitchcock classic, Notorious. All right, Bill, welcome back. We're excited to have you help us decode this Hitchcock classic. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me back. And uh, just a quick plug for uh, my website, The the Spy Command, and uh, available everywhere on the Internet. It's (laughs) terrific. Everyone should check that out. All right. In our first episode of Notorious with Tony Lee Morrell, the author of four Alfred Hitchcock books, we decoded the movie from the Hitchcock point of view. Notorious has influenced many movies in terms of plot points, lighting, camera, shots and angles, and so on. The movie was also influenced by real-life events. So today, we'll decode Notorious by looking into these influences. We'd like to give a shout-out first to David Forrest, who has listened to all of our other Hitchcock spy movie podcast episodes and said, I am really enjoying listening to these podcasts. I had a connection with films 20 years ago, and it is great to hear you both connect the dots. Warmest regards, David. Thanks, David. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, David. Now, before we get to the meat of this movie, though, let's talk a little bit about the time that this movie was released because it helps put things in perspective for us That's because true. this was released in 1946 about a year after world war two ended which was expedited by the dropping of the atomic bombs on hiroshima now the important thing here is that u.s intelligence agencies and nazis were both still active when this was released so even though the war was over the spying was still going on So production started two months after World War II ended, and we're at the start of this Cold War. And in my opinion, the best Cold War movies are spy movies, which is what we've got here. But that timing is really important about the atomic age being introduced to the world right before this movie came out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Tom, we have to remember that in real life, many Nazis really escaped to South America, including Adolf Eichmann, Joseph Mengele, and others. So this scenario is one that many people in the Western world were aware of. So very interesting to place it in this movie right after the war. Also, the action takes place in Miami, Florida, in the U.S., and Rio de Janeiro. But it looks like they just use establishing shots in those places, and the rest was filmed in the studios in California and so on. Yes, Nazis did flee to South America, and in fact, You'd have storylines in various other forms of spy entertainment well into the 60s, in the 70s yes. concerning that. But again, you know, this this happened shortly after the end of the war. And, you know, among other things, you know, the concept of trying German war criminals was in the news at the time and would be very contemporary. I mean, uh, Adolf Eichmann was captured in the 60s, you know, like 15 years or so after this movie came out. So, yeah, it was it was you know, topical stuff. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in the movie, we see cameras outside a courtroom. We peer into a courtroom and see a man sentenced 20 years in prison for treason. The man speaks with a German accent. He threatens the judge or the people by saying, you can't put away what's going to happen to you, et cetera, et cetera. Good. So uh, before, you know, is 
lawyer then silences him. But, you know, this, you know, again, this was very topical at the time. Yeah, the Nuremberg trials, um, you know, uh, Judgment in Nuremberg was another early yeah. 60s movie, and it was set after the big trials were done and they were kind of picking up the small fry. And it was a very dramatic movie yes. uh, directed by Stanley Kramer. Uh, you had Burt Lancaster as a former Nazi, one of the people on trial. You know, Werner Klemper, who would later be uh, play Colonel Kling, yes. he played Nazis, serious Nazis, you know, prior to that. Yeah both in Judgment in Nuremberg and uh, another movie, which name escapes me, where he, play, where he played Eichmann. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and John Banner also played a Nazi. And, when the, and the funny thing is both Klemper and Banner like fled Central Europe to get away from the Nazis because of their yeah. religion. But uh, yeah. Then we get to this party scene in Alicia's house. And the, qu- <laughs> the quantity of alcohol being consumed here would make James Bond proud, I think. <laughs> She, she, she drinks a lot throughout the whole movie. Yeah. yeah, especially the literary James Bond. Alcohol played a big part in another movie from this era, too, the 1945's The Lost Weekend. But we also get the impression that Alicia here is fairly carefree. She has a reputation for being a party girl here, to her own disadvantage, really, drinking and so on, and loving life and living it. And she's notorious for that. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There's the title of the movie. Well, uh, and in the original script, uh, Alicia was a sex worker, so uh, they yeah. toned that down a bit. They toned it down quite Jeez. a bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is also the scene where we meet uh, Devlin, played by Cary Grant. Yeah. Love and, and and what strikes me about this movie, it's a different Cary Grant, colder, harder Cary Grant. Yes. Not, you know, not Roger O. o. Thornhill, not uh, yeah, yeah. his character into Catch a Thief. Um, right. he's a tough guy and, uh, Devlin's a federal agent, which Alicia is not aware of. Yeah. We get a slow reveal of him for much of the first half of this scene. We get a shot of him from the rear Yeah, as the movie was filmed in black and white with the lighting. You cannot tell who this guy is and Alicia doesn't know who the guy is and he's in her house. You get the bl- the back of his head for about a minute, 45 seconds before yeah, the yeah. party breaks up and we finally see his face. Yeah, That's... we're all wondering too, hey, who is this guy? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, finally, that, like you said, the camera pans around and we see it's this guy, Devlin. Yeah, now <laughs> you know I love a slow reveal of a new agent. <laughs> you gotta now, love this, this one then. <laughs> yeah, I, I always have to talk about it, right? So when this movie came out in 1946 and... When I talk about slow agents, usually we talk about the James Bond slow reveal in Dr. No and how that was influenced by the 1939 movie Juarez. Mm -hmm. Now, we get here this very slow reveal of Cary Grant's character, Devlin. Was Juarez an influence on how Devlin was revealed? It couldn't have been Dr. No because Notorious came out 16 years before Dr. No. So maybe it's the combination of the two. We've been saying Juarez all along because that's what we've read, but... You know, it's possible this one had an influence on that slow reveal on Dr. No as well. Yeah. And also, no, we, we don't really hear Devlin during this scene at all. It's really a slow reveal. We don't know anything about this guy that she's sitting and talking to. I'm wondering, actually, how he got into the party because she doesn't know who that he is. It's her place. But, uh, <laughs> but. Well, well, the uh, lady who was uh, dancing with the drunk guy who kept talking about fishing so oh, yeah. she brought him and they both are passed oh. out drunk when devlin and alicia leave the party 
this leads to an interesting question. If she brought Devlin and there seems to be no interaction between the two, who is she? Yeah. Um, okay. That's a good question. And then, then we later find out he's an agent and was that drunk lady an agent? Uh, who knows? Yeah. I, I like that thought and it never, I don't think it's ever brought out right into it's, in the movie. It's, no. it's never, never brought out who she it, is. But, the other part of that scene that just cracks me up is the guy kept talking about fishing. I'm like, give me some context behind that. Yeah, the Commodore. He, they called him the Commodore, I think, yeah. later. So yeah. taking him fishing and stuff. So they decide to go for a ride in the car, Devlin and Alicia. And they've both been drinking. So on the way out the door, Devlin takes a handkerchief. <laughs> the great scene. Takes a handkerchief out of his jacket pocket. And somehow... This handkerchief was large enough to wrap around Alicia's bare midriff. That's like, well, that's pretty okay. impressive. So, 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 you know, so it, it's like Batman's cape. It kind of expands and contracts as needed yeah. <laughs> for <laughs> dramatic purposes. Now, Dan, you made a comment to me about this, this him taking this thing out, and I had to look this up. Of I mean, course, poc- pocket squares are not that big. <laughs> no. Ingrid Bergman was five feet nine. And her waist was only 24 inches. Okay. Now, most larger pocket squares are only 17 inches. I had to look this up. It means <laughs> that the diagonal would be just over 24 inches. So okay. it would like barely get around her. Getting close. But, so he folds it on the diagonal so it would be close. But he had enough to tie it, which wouldn't have happened if it was really a 17-inch <laughs> pocket square, which is a normal thing. So my guess is this thing had to be at least 20 inches on each side, which is a very uncommon side, which would give you a 28-inch diagonal so I can tie it around, and maybe I am too Atlanta. I'm sure everybody was wondering about that particular scene. All right, Tom, uh, pocket blankets aside. (laughs) Anyway, we get to the car, which Alicia tells Devlin, I love this line, it's outside, (laughs) to which he responds naturally. I love that interplay, and it gets it's just like you get a similar scene really in North by Northwest. Ten years later, that Alicia is driving drunk here, and and it, it's filmed similarly with a different result though in North by Northwest. Roger Thornhill, who's played by Gary Grant, drives drunk and is detained by the police. In Notorious, here it's Alicia who's driving drunk. However, in this movie, she is stopped by the police, but she gets off because Devlin shows some kind of credentials to the policeman. And after the cop salutes Devlin, <laughs> Alicia is accusing him of being a cop. That and, might have been a little clue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's a little struggle that ensues, which is, which is kind of cool because it's a small little arm fight in the car because she still wants to drive and he's kind of smacking her wrist like, no, you're, you're not going to be driving anymore. And so this kind of like reminded me of James Bond stuff because he smacked women around a little bit here and there from Russia with love with Sylvia Trent at the picnic, Jill Masterson's face when he pushes her down and Goldfinger. So a little, little Bondian thing here going on, but he got control. <laughs> and also it gets back to how this is a colder, harder Cary Grant yeah. than we're, we're used to seeing. Definitely. Yep. Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So it takes nine minutes into the movie Alicia finally asks him, so what's your name? Who are you? Yeah. He replies, Devlin. He doesn't do a Bond, James Bond, but he replies, Devlin. It's a very slow reveal. Here we have nine <laughs> yeah. minutes here. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I mean, the Bond, you know, the Bonds got introduced a little bit later into each of the Bond movies, each of the new actors. But yeah. still, it was, you know, yeah. that slow reveal, the name comes later. Really, you know, I think yeah. Bond borrowed from some of this. Yeah. So clearly, she was drunk and has to now kind of, you know, wear that off herself somehow. I don't know. We later get to see Alicia in bed. Devlin tells her to drink something resembles Alka-Seltzer. <laughs> Uh, and then later in the movie, you know, she's told to drink something else. And it's like the men in this movie kind of express dominance over her by, you know, drink this. Yeah, and, she drinks. You know, just, which well, is quite. And it's funny because here, the drink is supposed to make her feel better. Yeah. <laughs> At the end of the movie, it doesn't. Yeah. No. Or she and, doesn't know yeah. that. <laughs> At the end, but, but I was just thinking it, it it's kind of expressive of the era in which it was filmed, yeah. Because this was considered acceptable male behavior, and today not so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Uh, Devlin is trying to uh, recruit Alicia on you know, which kind of evokes well, actually evokes among other things, the Man from Uncle, where Solo was always like recruiting the innocent. Yeah. to help him out on missions. Yeah. And uh, this is an early example of that. Yeah. Because Devlin needs her help yeah. for him to succeed in his mission. Yeah. And that really shows in, in this scenario here, how manipulative Devlin is here, Bill. And like you're saying, not like the character he played in North by Northwest or whatever. And he like bond, he's got a mission. Apparently we don't know exactly what it is yet. And he's going to get that mission done no matter what he has to do. So it's kind of, a different kind of Cary Grant here. And right. In, in, in North by Northwest, Cary Grant is the innocent. He is the one yes. who gets manipulated. Yes. Whereupon here, he is the manipulator. Yes. Good. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. And again, he's trying to influence this woman to help him out on a mission. And this is where the plot of Notorious and Mission Impossible 2 just totally start to merge. Because, I mean, Mission Impossible 2... I'll say borrows to put it nicely a lot from notorious. I mean, sometimes whole scenes, plot points, even words. I mean, we'll talk about some, but not all of these throughout this, this podcast episode. We mentioned this relationship between the two movies in our podcast episode, mission impossible Two, that we released in September of 2020. Now in mission impossible Two, based on the instructions that Ethan got when he was wearing those cool Oakley sunglasses, yeah. he has to try to convince Naya to help out on a case. Yeah. And he's supposed to meet his boss, Swanbeck, in Seville to get his assignment. And he blackmails her to try to get her help. Now, in, in Notorious, Devin doesn't know the details of the mission yet that right. he's going to ask Alicia to help out with. He knows it'll involve some people who have been working with her father. Mm -hmm. He meets her in Miami, but needs to take her to Rio. But in both cases, as we've talked about the innocence here, the women are reluctant to first help out. So again, in both movies, we have a reluctant spy, which is a theme we've talked about in numerous episodes yeah. because many spy movies use this concept of a reluctant or an innocent spy. Yeah, and certainly Alicia here is no spy, and she has no spy training or experience or anything like that, but wow, she's so damn good, though. I, you have to be <laughs> impressed with how she pulls this stuff off. Well, it should also be noted that in Mission Possible 2, Ethan sleeps with Naya before they know the mission. That's the opposite of what happens to Notorious. Yeah. Both of them have their clothes on that they were wearing the night before, implying there was no hanky-panky that occurred. That's true. So this is a divergence between the two movies. The fact that the Hayes uh, Code ended in 1968 probably helped with this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
So more about that later, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, more of a they, had to clean, they had to clean things up, <laughs> yeah, so more, to speak. Yeah, so it's kind of a sign of the times. This this scene uses a, a, a record album here, so which is kind of cool, because Devlin plays back to Alicia as he's trying to basically blackmail her into doing this thing. A recording that they made of her comments in a discussion she had with her father. And Alicia's words show that she really is a patriot, even though she denies that. It was kind of cool to see that see that uh, a vinyl record here being used, which was state of the art at the time for the recording here. So it kind of made me think of the different ways they played the mission stuff in Mission Impossible, both in the movies and the TV series. Really, the first Mission Impossible, I think in the in the pilot for the TV series, delivered the message on a vinyl recording. I think. Yeah, that, that, sure. that, that, that's right. It was yeah. a vinyl record which was sealed in plastic, and then okay, yeah. he, he, you know, Briggs, the original uh, team leader, breaks the seal. Yeah, and he plays the record, and the, then the recording says it will decompose one minute after breaking the seal. <laughs> uh, there you go. All so right. we don't get we don't get a decomposing record here, but still, no, no. a vinyl record used. Yeah, pretty damn cool. I the message. Yeah, yeah. So we have Alicia tell Devlin, "Well, you can forget it, Mister." And then she pauses as if she's kind of forgotten his name, like Mr. Devlin or whatever she was going to say, because she was drunk when he told her his name. And he says, Devlin. And she says, what? And he repeats, Devlin. <laughs> hey, Devlin. Devlin. Was this an impetus for Bond, James Bond? Eh, I don't know. It is seven years before Fleming even writes his first Bond novel, but he, he doesn't say Devlin, J.R. Devlin. <laughs> I would have rather yeah. if he said that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, want, I want to go back to the record again and do a tie-in to Mission Impossible 2. Mm, so hard. the record is used to play to her, her own words, and kind of setting up that, hey, you're a patriot, you've got to do this for your country. Now, in Mission Impossible 2, Ethan plays this video that was on a video that was on a video camera to show Naya the pictures of the burnt plane. So a different premise to try to hook her, but still using technology, mm -hmm. recorded media. And so in Mission Impossible 2, it's just a modified and modernized, ver yeah. and modernized version of the vinyl record for how they hooked Naya. Yeah. All right. So they're on the plane. He's got her going to Rio because she finally agrees. And Devlin is talking to his boss on the plane, Paul Prescott. And he's played by uh, Lewis Calhern, who was terrific in this movie also. Right, and uh, Lewis Calhern and Claude Rains, oh, who is also in Notorious, both were in the movie Juarez that was mentioned earlier. Oh, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Uh, talking yeah, about yeah, yeah. the slow reveal. Oh, wow. Yeah. And also on the flight, Devlin reiterates that he didn't know the plan yet. He yeah. also tells Alicia that her father died. Alicia takes this news as liberating. Yeah, that yeah, she didn't get, went, she didn't get yeah, crazy about it. Yeah, and when they get to Rio, they get you know they get to Rio and meet over dinner and drinks. Devlin still doesn't know her assignment. Right. There's an interesting conversation about her being chased and not ordering another drink. He doesn't <laughs> think a, a woman can change, and she orders a drink anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Which it was, it was kind of was fascinating right. interplay there. Yeah. And they, they, another thing they do when they're in Rio is they get to this mountaintop. Yeah. And Alicia's just berating Devlin, saying, oh, you, he's in love with her. You've fallen for a little drunk, and you don't like it. Now, they end up kissing, and following the Hayes Code, they kissed for less than three seconds. Yeah. 
Now, this was a really stupid rule that really influences a scene we're going to talk about in a little bit. But for those of you who aren't familiar with the the Hayes Code, it was a code implemented on how much promiscuity and sexual stuff can be in a movie. There was some more stuff with it, but it was mainly around around sex. For how and. One of the rules is you can't kiss for more than three seconds. Yeah, I think it plays off well here. We'll talk about it in a minute. Right. Again, given the Hayes rules we just discussed, you know, it's got probably one of the longer embraces in at this point in movie history under those uh, <laughs> under those restrictions. Uh, so anyway, they embrace, they kiss, pull back, make small talk, and continue kissing for a minute. They walk to the phone, then they are back at it for another however many seconds yeah. it's funny to watch how they played games with the code on kissing yeah it is and, and, really, and apparently a lot of it was improvised at the time yeah and if you look at the scene <laughs> though, what a dumb rule <laughs> I, I, it is a dumb yeah. it, it was a dumb can you imagine that today with what goes on in movies now it's like oh my god there's no controls over almost just about anything anyway but i, I think it works perfectly here and actually it may made the scene more sensuous as they kissed and talked kind of lip to lip. It was very, I thought it was very sexy. So Hitchcock and the actors, Cary Grant and Ingrid Bergman, I mean, they played this off, I thought, perfectly, given the scenario of the stupid rule that Tom said. <laughs> I thought it was pretty damn good. <laughs> All the right. Hayes code. Ruined <laughs> it for everybody. <laughs> anyway, so we see, they're in Rio, and, and we see Prescott, he's meeting with his other intelligence people, and he, she, He's vouching for Alicia in this room of his cohorts. And he verifies that Devlin doesn't know the plan yet. He vouches for Alicia, and he uses the phrase, our man Devlin just brought her down here the other day. Now, we remember the British delegate using the phrase, our man in Hong Kong is working on it now, In you only live twice, or the spy movie, our man in Havana. So it's kind of a, one of those phrases that gets reused. Also, Devlin, he, he makes a phone call while they're kissing like Bill was just talking about, and they had all these little short kisses. <laughs> I love that she said during that call, this is a strange love affair. And he <laughs> says, how so? Like, Devlin's like, hey, I got to get this mission done. How so? Devlin asked. She says, you don't love me. I was like, that's just great writing. It's like, yeah, yeah, that would be a strange love affair. Then yeah. Devlin, in a very Bond-like manner, says to her, when I stop loving you, I'll let you know. Oh, that's a great line. Perfectly delivered. So, all right, we think he's in perfect control here. But we will regularly see throughout the movie that really he uses their relationship to further his mission and to understand what is up in Brazil. So Bond did this often with women, right? Winning over a woman to his side, manipulating her feelings, all to help accomplish his mission. And Bond really was morally bankrupt in this regard. And so is Devlin here. And really... Yeah, but he, he is, but he's also challenged later. Yeah. And so Bond, you know, Bond rarely really fell for somebody. He did. Right. Not, you know, in the books, he fell he, for, for women uh, more often than he does in the movies. That, that's but, true. But you're right. He, he doesn't. But really, if you look at the scenario, I mean, he is pretty ruthless here and but later you're going to see alicia is equally morally bankrupt and ruthless when she's manipulating alex 
banking on his love for her to twist him around her little finger so that she can help accomplish this mission. So it really is kind of dark in this regard, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah, Devlin and Alicia deserve each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There you go. That's perfect. <laughs> yep. All right. Devlin meets with Pres- Prescott to get the assignment, and now he protests and says, hey, you know, he doesn't think Alicia's up for this. I don't know if she'll do it, he says. And a bit later, he said, well, she has no experience. And Prescott says, oh, come on. What experience does she lack, do you think? Implying that, hey, she's a woman who knows how to love and make love and manipulate men or whatever. I think that was his implication. He then tells Devon that she has to meet Alexander Sebastian, played by Claude Rains that you mentioned. Uh, Bill, great actor. Love Claude Rains in anything he does. And that Sebastian who the character he's playing, was in love with her in the past. So she has to get into his house and report back what is happening. So this is pretty damn good writing and damn good acting here, I think. Terrific. Well, yes, and uh, Claude Rains uh, received his uh, received an Academy Award nomination, his fourth as uh, Best Supporting Actor. Yeah. And uh, we should also mention you know, something about the screenwriter, Ben Hecht. Yes. I mean, he... Um, yes. He had, he had been a Chicago newspaper man. He had co-authored the play with Charles MacArthur, The Front Page, which was made into a movie multiple times. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. And um, I actually just did a revival of that on Broadway a couple of years ago. His, uh, his papers are actually in um, the Newberry Library in Chicago, yeah. okay. in, 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 including one of his, at least one of his Oscars. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, really? there. Yeah, a friend of mine sure. used to work there, and she told me. I'm like, yeah, it's like, and she, yeah, you know, she took, uh, she posed for a photo of, of her holding up that Oscar. Yeah. Um, oh, cool. But uh, anyway, he he was a great screenwriter. Yes. He he moved to uh, he moved to Hollywood. He uh, was uh, involved with the original. Oh God, the 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 movie that was based on the life of Al Capone, except Heck okay. denied that it was based on Al Capone, um, Scarface, the original oh, yeah. Scarface, okay. the 32 Scarface. Yeah. Ah. Anyway. And toward, toward the end of his life, he was employed by Charles K. Feldman to, uh, uh adapt Casino Royale. Oh, but this, wow. but this would not have been the, the campy Casino Royale we'd get. Yeah. It was intended as more or less a straight adaptation. Although heck created, you know, an additional storyline because the novel was so short. Uh, and he was working on that at the time of his death. Oh, wow. Uh, that would have been writer, interesting to see what he yeah, would have come up Yeah, with. a writer named Jeremy Dunn's kind of uncovered those scripts. Oh, okay. Finding them at the Newberry uh, <laughs> Library. Okay, Dan, we're going to have to go over there to look at this. I yeah, want to see absolutely. how much of what he wrote ends up in what ended up in Casino Royale 2006. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. great. He is over. a terrific writer. And, well, I mean, Ben did a heck of a job here on the screenplay. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, uh, I mean, I've heard bad puns before, Dan. <laughs> Come on. All right. All right. Back to the plot point of embedding Alicia into the Sebastian home. There's a similar woman infiltrating the enemy home in a later Hitchcock movie, his 1959 North by Northwest. Once again, there you go. All right, so let's get back to Mission Impossible 2 because there's wow, a bunch more. we just talked about. More stuff. There, there's a lot here, right? So there's so I want to bring in some influences again from Mission Impossible that how this movie influenced that. Mm-hmm. So Swanbeck, 
Ethan's boss tells Ethan that Naya has to get reacquainted with Sean Ambrose. Yeah. They had had a prior relationship, just like in <laughs> Notorious with Alex and Alicia. Coincidence. And his line to Ethan is, we're asking her to resume a prior relationship, not to do something that she hasn't already uh, done. See, there Voluntarily, you go. <laughs> I might add. All right. So same, almost almost the same, yeah. same sentiment, if not the exact same words here. Yeah, right. Good. And then Ethan says, she's got no training for this kind of thing. Same and, kind of thing. Wow. Yeah. Which again, is just like what Devlin said. Yeah. He objects to this. And then Swanbeck comes back with what? To go to bed with a man and lie to him? Here you she's go. a woman. She has all the training that she needs. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. All right. So, I mean, this is I just like that, an adaption, you know, in Mission Impossible 2. It's like an adaption of the scene in Notorious. Yeah, I think they've seen Notorious a few times. <laughs> the Mission yeah, Impossible. Apparently. <laughs> anyway, you know, just another connection between Notorious and Mission Impossible 2. And remember that Devlin told Alicia that her father was dead, suicide by poison. Poison yeah. plays a later role in this movie. Yeah. It's true. Well, yeah, these these parallels are just kind of crazy. Yeah. So back at the apartment, Devlin tells Alicia about needing to see Sebastian and that Sebastian had a crush on her. She said in the in the past she wasn't very responsive. Sebastian, Devlin tells her that Sebastian is working on something big. He's part of the combine that built up the German war machine and hopes to uh, keep it going. And again, this is like the year after World War II ended. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. So something big there. Uh, let's bring it back to Mission Impossible 2. Chimera was something big yep. and Bellerophon to counteract it. So in both cases, the women have agreed to take a job, even though they're reluctant, to go after something big. Yeah. So they, somehow they've got to throw Alicia and Sebastian together. And so Devlin's he gives Alicia the cover. Here's your cover to use that Devlin, he, and she met on the plane. He worked for Pan American Airways. So they go riding at this riding club in the morning at the stable, riding stable, Devlin and Alicia, because they know that's where Sebastian goes riding in the morning. So they're going to force this meeting together. And that's how they meet and begin a new relationship again. And so here we go. Yeah, now one thing about this 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 meeting with on the horses that did crack me up is when she rides up and they meet each other, they shake hands across from the horse. That just every time I see that, it just cracks it's so me up. Polite. It's like polite, but they supposedly kind of had a thing, or at least he had a thing uh, yeah. for her. It was an interest. I just thought it was an interesting reacquaintance move. He's not gonna jump off his horse on their ears. Come on. <laughs> So after the horse ride, then they, Alex and Alicia are going to meet for dinner. Mm -hmm. So she, they meet in a restaurant and she tells him that he looks younger than he did in Washington. Now this has to be an allusion to Claude Rains's role as the white haired Senator and Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Yeah. It has to, because they don't mention Washington at all in this movie. I don't think. Do they? Right. Which, and that movie was what? uh, Well, 1939. So it's like, uh, 10 years before. Yeah. Less than 10. Less than 10 years. Yeah. 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 So that, that, yeah, it just, it's, that that has to be there from that. Yeah. Another thing about this is we kind of root for Claude Rains character during parts of this movie. Yes, yeah. he's a villain, but he probably thinks he's doing the right thing until later in the movie that, you know, we're, 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 he's fighting for the good, if you will. And he really does seem to love Alicia. Yes. 
And if we look at The Man with the Golden Gun, the James Bond movie, Scaramanga is another villain who we kind of liked. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, there were some people who thought it was a problem for Christopher Lee playing that character that was the villain that we kind of liked. Yeah. So it, it for happens. me here in Notorious, it adds an interesting tension Yeah. because he, he does really appear to love her. Yeah. And yet as the movie progresses, it gets kind of weird. Yeah. Robert Dobby <laughs> well, and License well, Kill too, you feel a little like yeah. a charming well, guy. And, and Claude Rains has clearly been manipulated into this relationship. And you have to, yeah, it's like, yeah, he's not, the, he's obviously not the hero, but, you know, but he's not, you know, this is not Adolf Hitler here. This is, right. you know, he's, he's a guy struggling with, you know, mixed allegiances and so forth. And he, and as you guys said, he clearly, you know, is in love with Alicia yes. and that, it, it, it actually adds a lot of spice to the story. Yeah. It's a great love affair because you could tell he really loves her. And then Alicia now meets Alex's mother, who's played by Leopoldine Constantine. She She's like, wow, she's terrific. This was her only American movie I think she made. She's Austrian, I believe. And she's just outstanding here. Her facial expressions are like... Whoa! You don't need the thousand words. Just have her do something with her face. Right, Bam. right, right. And if anything's like she's firmer and colder than her son is. Oh, oh my God! Yes, by a lot. Yeah, yeah like, like, just watch it. I do stares. not want to cross this lady. It's a Hitchcock mother. When she stares yeah. into the camera, it's like wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's it sends a chill down your spine. Uh, so Alicia's got into the house, right? He got in. She got invited. Like she was supposed to, and her her mission now, according to Devlin, is she's supposed to get the names of everybody she meets at the party, and so that's what she's going to try to do. So it's pretty cool. Now, now, one of the guys she meets is a mill hoop guy, and he points at some bottles and he says something to Sebastian. And he's all agitated. Yeah. Now uh, this bottle is a Premier Crew Burgundy, and we'll talk more about this later. But he's got a lot of agitation when pointing to this wine. Yeah. Something is up to him about the wine, yeah. and Alicia notices. Yep. So, yeah, and, and she's it's, not it's, the only one who noticed that. There's he was this wonderful party going on. He sees the wine on the on the bureau sideboard in the in the dining room, and he's like, "Oh!" And then others notice too, as we see, as we find out, and it's not good. <laughs> well, and and we'll get into more details in a minute, but again, in a way, this is kind of a, it almost predicts what's going to happen in the Cold War, where everything is not what it seems. Yeah, and you, you can't be sure, like, you think you know one thing, and then it turns out it's another, and, you know, there's, there's no way that Ben Hector Hitchcock could predict what would happen, but it ends up being very prescient yeah. for what would happen in the Cold War. Yeah, yep, absolutely. Yeah. So Alex and Alicia have a relationship now, and now they're at the racetrack. And Alex is using wait, binoculars. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, uh, the, uh, it's a spy movie and people go to the racetrack? Oh, yeah. I mean, we've seen other, uh, a couple of racetracks, haven't we? <laughs> yeah. 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 MI2, again, has a racetrack scene. Yeah. Um, a view to, yeah. Uh, is it A View to Kill or Tomorrow Never Dies? I don't remember which one it is. Uh, a View to a Kill has one. And And in real life, J. Edgar Cooper loved to go to the racetrack. Yeah. Although he insisted he only bet on the two uh, at the two dollar windows, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh -huh. maybe a couple zeros after it. <laughs> maybe, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, 
So they're at the racetrack. Alex is using binoculars. He's with his mother, I believe. He's right. Yeah, she's with him, and he's looking at Alicia and talking to Devlin off on on some other part of the track. And he's uh, you know again trying to get a, get intelligence here while at the racetrack. So Alex comes up to the two of them. He walks off after he sees them. He comes up to Alicia and Devlin as they're talking, and and so. You see the tension there, and there's some great shots of the racetrack, and the you could see the tension building a little bit there. And there's one where Alicia's looking through the binoculars, and in the reflection of the binoculars, you could see the horses running. I love that shot. It's just a great shot. It just shows the action and the tension that's behind the action. It's kind of cool, all in one shot. Well, and you know, as another similarity with uh, a view to a kill is Alicia tells Devlin that Alex says that some horse, I forget which number it is, is going to win. Oh, yeah, right. And yes. it does win. <laughs> and in A View to a Kill, Bond had his money on Pegasus and had Money Penny go cash the chit for him. Yeah, and I love it that Devlin said some sarcastic remark, too, like uh, Alex can pick his horses like he picks his women or something like that, he said. It's like, whoa, because now he is kind of falling for her. You could tell, right? He's falling for Alicia. Devlin is. And now he's getting jealous that, shoot, the Sebastian guy that she's got a relationship going with is is happening. So not liking that too much. But Alex's mother is not liking this relationship at all. And she's trying to drop bombs on into Alex's brain about, hey, maybe she just came to Brazil looking for you. And she does not like this concept of them getting married. So that's the next big step is Sebastian's going to ask her. And now she's in the mission. So, ooh, what's she going to do? She going to marry this guy? Holy God, that's really dedication to a mission, right? Whoa. So that's what they're doing. Right. So this conversation the mother has with with Alex is similar kind of to the conversation between Sean Ambrose and Hugh Stamp in MI2. And Hugh yeah. lost a fingertip over this one. <laughs> Hugh was questioning whether that whether Nye was really there to you know on good terms. Right. Yeah, that's true. That's so good. Alex's that's mother good. doesn't cut off Alex's fingertip, which is surprising. Still, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it still is a similar conversation that happens. But instead of the mother, it's uh, uh, Stamp yeah. that's having the conversation with Sean Ambrose. So they're in, they're in his house. Alex is in his house. He's meeting with his cohorts there in, in a room. And Mr. Anderson tells him that, hey, he's been successful doing something. So we don't know exactly what he's doing yet, whatever else is going on, but he's had some success. Alicia knocks on the door and she's asking Alex for keys. And because she's been looking around for closets and stuff. They're married now. They're married. She's got to make her mark. Yeah, she's going <laughs> to look around for closets or something because they're married or whatever. So now well, she says, she says this closet's too small, small too small. Yeah. So, so she needs more closet space. Yeah. There's a bunch of things. You know, doors are opening all up, but yeah. some, some doors are locked though. And so she wants the keys. Anyway, she gets the keys and we find out that uh, one key is really kind of missing. She comes up to a door that has a lock that she doesn't really have a key for. And it's the wine cellar. Okay. The door oh. lock is marked Unica. As you might expect, this is a Portuguese word for one or only, and Unica is a famous Brazilian key manufacturer brand. So this is the only lock brand we see, but here we see it on this door, Unica. Well, and and it's important that we note 
this is a unique key because that will become really important here as I think, Bill, you're going to go ahead and talk about. It's a unique key and a Unica key. <laughs> yes. Well, you know what? I, I, I was just going to say if they if uh, they dared to remake this movie today, um, the, the mother character would probably, she wouldn't just cut off a fingertip. She'd cut off the whole finger and then chew it down <laughs> and, uh, on camera view. Like, or cut but, something uh, else off. Yeah, it's like, yeah, so... so so Hollywood, if you're listening, please don't remake this movie. No, it's don't. Just find the way it is. Yes. <laughs> so when Alex is in the bathroom getting ready for dinner, they are hosting. Alicia takes the key from his key ring. She almost gets caught with it in her hand as Alex starts kissing her. The unique key. Yeah. Alicia deftly switches the hand it was in and then throws it on the ground to pick it up later. Yeah. I love that he didn't hear it hit the ground. Well, it's a carpet. <laughs> it's a carpet. Yeah. I, I noted that, too. And I was thinking... Oh, He's that's... kissing Ingrid Bergman. He's not going to listen to a key <laughs> falling, a key on, falling on a carpet. Come on, nah. nah. Well, and, and I love the way they did it, because he grabs a hand and kisses yeah. it, and you're like, oh, didn't she have the key? But she had moved well, it. Well, and in a way, it's, it's some of the same technique from earlier in the film when uh, Devlin is kissing her and they're like trying to keep the kisses to three seconds. It's all this, it's, it's just kind of tension and, and yeah. all that. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we're talking about this key again and yeah. we're going to talk yeah. about it more through the movie. This key was so important to the movie that Cary Grant took it and then years later gave it to Bergman. Yeah. And then at an awards ceremony to honor Hitchcock, Bergman presented the key to Hitchcock. I mean, what a class move. Yeah. Right? It, it, it just, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because that key was so important. It brought so me important. a lot of luck, and so hopefully it brings you a lot of luck. And yeah, that was, that was very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Right. Now, I got to go back to Mission Impossible again. Um, <laughs> Are so, we watching Mission Impossible, too? I think so. Well, we're kind of watching Mission Impossible. <laughs> I mean, Notorious and Mission Impossible, very, very similar movies. Different twists, but yeah, yeah. similar yeah. movies. Now, I'm going to go back to the racetrack just to talk about something she does there. So we t we talked about the fact that Alicia was able to deftly move the key from the one hand to the other and then get it on the ground away from her. Yep. The racetrack, when Nia steals the camera's SD card from Sean Ambrose's pocket, he stops her and she drops the chip that was sitting in her armpit into her hand, allowing her to conceal it. So, in both, you know, again, that was their twist on how... She was able to conceal, like, oh, no, she's going to get caught with this thing she took from him. Mm -hmm. And so slightly different version of it, but, you know, similar concept. Yeah. It's kind of cool, this next shot, it, it, because the key, like like we've been saying, is, like, the important element here. And so we get one of Hitchcock's most famous shots that we're going to see in other Hitchcock movies in the future. Alex and Alicia are greeting their guests in the large foyer and as they're standing there chatting we see them from above like we're looking down from a balcony or something and the camera zooms in from this high viewpoint and we see that Alicia is holding something in her hand. Alex steps away and we see what Alicia is holding in her hand. It's the key, the Unica key. This is like a 25 second zoom. It's a pretty long zoom. And it's thrilling as it shows us that even during all of the action and the people milling around and everything else, the key is the key element in this large room. And it's kind of cool to see this shot transpiring. Boom. And fortunately, they did not try to duplicate that shot in Mission Impossible. <laughs> hey, there you go. Oh, well, 
They didn't borrow anything there, huh? Okay, all right. So, as Devil and Alicia are talking at the party, she tells him that she got the key, the Unica key, from Alex's keychain. And Devlin, he presciently replies, let's hope the liquor doesn't run out and start him down the cellar for more. Because all this liquor is being served at this party, a lot of champagne and so on. So, whoa. Now we're worried, right? She's got the key, the liquor's there, and Devlin's saying this. So, Yes, let's make sure the audience gets the next plot point and knows what to look for. <laughs> there are, there yeah. are quite a few shots of champagne bottles being emptied as people continuing drinking the champagne. Yeah. And there's multiple conversations going on about, oh, is the liquor going to run out? Yeah. And that, <laughs> We're hitting us over the head with that one. <laughs> perfect Hitchcockian thing, right? Get, set us up for some tension here. And it works. It works great because now we're watching the bottles. Now there's five. Now whatever is left. And you're worried now he's going to go down to the wine cellar. So as people are drinking this champagne, Hitchcock gets in his little cameo here because he's one of the guys standing at the champagne table getting a glass of champagne so that's kind of cool. And it's funny because uh, this was way into the movie. And later on in movies, Hitchcock said, I started to put myself up earlier in the movies because people were looking for me and not paying attention to the movie. <laughs> well, right, at, right at the beginning of the movie, there's some guy that walks right in front of Alicia's house. It's like, why is that shot there? Yeah. Hmm. And at first I thought it was Hitch. And then I looked at, you know, I looked at it a second time. And, oh, wait, that wasn't Hitchcock. Yeah, yeah. So. So yeah, my, uh, my favorite Hitchcock cameo is actually North by Northwest because it's essentially an extension of the, of the main titles because you have directed by Alfred Hitchcock and then his credit goes off to the side and then he's rushing to catch the bus. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's funny and then it's over and then like, okay, we're not going to be distracted by this for the yeah, rest of the movie. Exactly, because people were looking. It's funny how that worked. So here now she's got the key and Alicia meets Devlin down at the wine cellar. Now, as I said, when we were talking to Tony Lee Morrell, who wrote four Hitchcock books, when we were talking about Notorious before, it's like, wait a minute. We had this whole big scene, <laughs> the Zoom scene for 25 seconds of her holding the key and trying to get it in the Devlin's hand and so on. And then she meets him down by the wine cellar. He could have just handed it to him there. I mean, just like... <laughs> but that would have blown the whole Hitchcock thing. Come That's on. right. That's well, why it's a movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And it wouldn't have gotten the whole ten, the increased tension of no, that's true. them getting caught and stuff. So yeah, I, I forget the uh, precise quote from Hitchcock. It was from some interview he did where he said the whole idea with the movie and building up tension, it's like you know if you just put an explosion in, like you have a momentary jump and then you move on in terms of the audience. But whereupon, if the audience knows there's going to be an explosion. And then, like, there's no explosion for a while, and you show that people are mulling about until yeah, yeah. the yeah. explosion, and like people are getting nervous and yeah, yeah. until they, they know what like happens. That. Yeah, he said something like the terror is not the explosion; it's the anticipation or something of the explosion, or right? Something like that. And yeah. and so yeah, this yeah. scene That's is like, you know, yeah. just another example of Hitchcock's yep. <laughs> approach to making films. That's good. All right. So now, as Devlin is looking in the wine cellar, they're in the wine cellar now. It's like, uh oh. A wine bottle falls from the shelf. And well, it didn't just fall. He kind of knocked it off. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, he's reaching behind it, looking at some sheets of paper and so on. And you can see it inching, again, Hitchcock thing, inching and inching and inching itself towards the edge of the shelf. And we're thinking, oh, no, it's going to fall. And, yes, it does. And But instead of liquid being spilled out, it's a dark sand-like substance. And we find out later in the movie. Hang, that, hang on a second. Hang that, on, hang on. 
All right, before we get for, further into what this is, I wanted to comment about the bottle. Now, I mentioned that Hoopka was looking at that Premier Cru Burgundy, which was a Volnay. Yeah. And there was no vintage label on it, unless it was on the label on the side that yeah, I couldn't see. see. Yeah. But this case, the bottle that fell was 1934 Pomard. And again, another Burgundy. So you could read the label and see the vintages on this thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so Emil was freaking out, but... It wasn't even the same type of wine. You know, I mean, it was a Burgundy, but it was it yeah, was yeah. Uh, Volnay instead of the Pomar. But he was freaking out about it, and the labels, the bottles and labels didn't really look all that close. Well, Emil's not that good weird. with wine labels. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I don't know. But, the, you know, his fuss there cost him his life. Yeah, right? well, it will, yes. Oh, yeah. And, you know, so you look at these bottles, and it's like, okay, they were different enough that I don't know that you would have made it fairly easy to catch. But the important thing is to me was there was something fishy about the bottles in the first place. Mm, you wouldn't you have a 12 year old Burgundy <laughs> standing upright like that unless you were getting ready to serve it. Yeah. So they should be lying on their sides like the other racked wine bottles were. So these things stood out, literally stood out <laughs> um, yeah. in that wine cellar. I was wondering if you were going to notice that and say something about that. Because, yeah, it's true. Storing wine on its side is the way to do it. But, but That's what why I have a wine cellar to yeah. <laughs> but what a, It would have been harder for us as viewers to see the bottles, right, and the vintage year and so on, and see what was going on, and maybe harder to knock one off the shelf by accident so okay for the scene you needed to all right back to the task at hand though devlin doesn't know it at the time the sandy substance will later be revealed to be uranium okay i, I gotta jump in again because what, did you look something up i looked some stuff up and <laughs> although i didn't get as much as i wanted when i was trying to figure this out oh god all right so fortunately Uranium isn't absorbed by the skin as he handles it. Oh, that's good. Which is weird. So the, the, the uranium's the MacGuffin in this movie. Mm -hmm. um, but he cleans up the mess using his hands. And at first, I'm like, dude, you're touching uranium. That can't be good. Well, he doesn't but know with, it is. <laughs> yeah, but with a little research, I found that, uh, that when refined, uranium is a silvery white, weak radioactive material. The metal sand-like stuff here is dark-colored, and I'd bet that 99.9% .9 of the people who have ever seen this scene would not know it was the wrong color. Including us. Including <laughs> us. I didn't know this until I looked it up. Yeah. But also, I'm not so sure I understand what weakly radioactive means. Yeah, I'm I don't sure want to find out. Yeah, if they did this today... I would think Devlin probably wouldn't go at this with his bare hands. Well, again, he didn't know what it was at the time. Right. That's well, true. And it, it being dark, I think, you know, it's it's a light floor. So yeah, white wouldn't have shown up very well there. And and it would have looked funny in the bottles too. So there you That's go. True. <laughs> well well meanwhile, according to the CCM website, Hitchcock claimed the FBI had him under surveillance for three months because the film dealt with uranium. <laughs> Now, again, that's possible because after World War II, the FBI's yeah. cooperation with movies and TV shows was scarce. And this was right right yeah. after the war, so yeah. I right, and, and the FBI was in charge of intelligence operations in South America. You know, the OSS had Europe and, and other regions, but the FBI had South America. Wow. Anyway, in April uh, 1945, months before the atomic bomb was tested for the first time in New Mexico, the uranium plot element was added to the story. 
In a modern interview, Hitchcock recalled that a writer friend had told him about a secret scientific project somewhere in New Mexico, and that he himself was aware that the Germans were conducting heavy water tests in Norway. According to that modern interview, Hecton Hitchcock consulted Dr. Robert Milliken, a Nobel Prize winner credited with the discovery of cosmic rays on how to make an atomic bomb. Oh, Milken <laughs> reportedly refused to answer the question directly, but confirmed the writer's contention. The crucial bomb ingredient, uranium, could fit into a wine bottle. As a result of the uranium device, Hitchcock was put under further <laughs> surveillance by the FBI. I think I'd put him under surveillance too, asking how to make a, an atomic bomb. <laughs> yeah. So, so in this case, it's uranium, not wine in this bottle. Yeah. So I guess you wouldn't you wouldn't need to store those bottles on their side. So that's yeah, why. Yeah, they yeah. And, and he so. has the, the only access to the wine cellar anyway, so he'd be the only one knowing it's not stored on his side. Using so there the, you go, Tom. Using the Unica key. Feel yes. better. Yes. All right. <laughs> so now Devin then tells uh, tells Alicia, "Help me find another bottle with the same other is the same label as these others." Uh, yeah. And she, instead of like just kind of leaving an opening in the back. She comes back with a bottle, which Devin just puts in the shelf and the spot, the broken bottle previously occupied Mm. and the crisis appears to be averted. Yeah. And meanwhile, we get more shots upstairs and see that the ice champagne supply is rapidly dwindling. Joseph finds Alex and they head to the wine cellar to get more champagne. Yeah. That's great. The Hitchcock tension. He set us all up for this all along. Looking at the wine, the champagne bottles going down in number and so on. So we knew this was going to happen. So Devlin and Alicia, they get out of the cellar quickly. And to hide their subterfuge, Devlin kisses Alicia in front of a windowed door so that Alex would see them and divert his attention from the wine cellar. And Alex catches them and confronts them. And now Alex knows that Devlin is in love with Alicia but he's pretty cool about it, Devlin, right? He's, he's amazingly. A spy. He's a spy. He's trained. Yeah. They try to play it off, and that Devlin's that Devlin was drunk, and he kissed Alicia without her consent, and Devlin leaves. I uh, think she should have slapped him before the door opened. Yeah, they saw that would have been nice. Would have been more convincing. Yeah. And definitely more bond like. <laughs> All right. So let, let's actually go back to MI2 again, Mission Impossible 2. Oh, man. And so, kind of around this, and this is kind of a little convoluted here, but there's a scene where Ambrose has an Ethan Hunt mask on, making Naya think she's kissing Ethan. Oh, yeah. And so she's willingly kissing Ambrose. So now Ambrose knows Naya has fallen for Ethan. And in this scene in Notorious, this is where Alex knows that Alicia has fallen for Devlin. Yeah, at least he certainly strongly suspects that. Devlin now leaves because he's got to get out of there because he just got caught kissing her. And he he says goodbye to Alex's mother. And Alex and Joseph head back down now to the wine cellar for more champagne. And as they get near the door, Alex realizes that the key is not on his keychain. Ah, I think Reigns is acting in this scene and the one where he confronted Alicia and Devlin probably are why Reigns won the Academy Award. He is just spectacular as he sorts this out. Everything he does, every movement, every facial expression, just terrific. He tells Joseph, hey, you know, 
Yeah, they don't need any more champagne. Let them drink the other stuff we have, whiskey and whatever. And so he sends Joseph back up. So once upstairs, Alicia is apologizing to uh, Alex and says she's tired and heads upstairs to bed. And we get another fantastic shot of Alex staring at Alicia as she leaves. And his face totally shows you how he feels. Total disdain looking at her thinking, what have I done here? Uh, this scene highlights an issue that Hitchcock had to deal with. Claude Rains was like two inches shorter than Ingrid Bergman. And so in this scene, and at other points, I think, in the movie, he's standing on something like a box or something to make him seem taller, <laughs> right? Well, on the uh, TCM movie channel here in the U.S., they run these short features between movies. And so you had this one where Richard Chamberlain worked with Claude Rains early in Chamberlain's career. Oh. And this was toward the end of Rains's career. Anyway, Chamberlain says Rains told him they built a for notorious, they built a ramp out of camera view where where Rains had to walk up <laughs> to approach Ingrid Bergman. <laughs> and 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 uh, Chamberlain quoted Claude Rains as saying, Oh, Claude thought that was very funny. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty damn clever, actually. <laughs> yeah. well, she she was five nine and he's four seven or something. So yeah, it makes sense. Five seven, yeah. I think he's a couple inches. Short. Yeah, five, did I say four seven? Yeah, four seven. Five, seven, five seven. Yeah. All right, Claude, I didn't mean didn't mean to bring you down a foot. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So when Alex comes to bed, he puts the keychain without the Unica key on his valet, and he looks at Alicia, who is asleep in her bed. No, wait, wait, Dan. You just said asleep in her bed. Yes. Remember, because of the Hayes Code, if you look, she's in a bed, and there's another bed in the room for Alex to sleep in. Yes. And they had to do it that way because of the code. Yes. And I, th I think the, the code even said that if they were sitting or in the same bed at any point, not in this movie, but anywhere, like in Dick Van Dyke shows, if you watch, you have to have a foot on the floor. <laughs> Like, whoa. Yeah, the car was just so stupid. Yeah, that's pretty cool. All right. So anyway, Alex wakes up at 6 o'clock in the morning, and the key is back on his key ring. So now he's pretty convinced that Alicia took the key. However, he doesn't really have any real proof, but he's pretty suspicious of her now. And yeah. Okay, now back to MI2. Ambrose gets proof the Naya stole the camera card by doing that mask trick we just talked about where he has her, she thinks she's kissing Ethan. Yeah, yeah. So that's how he got the proof he needed that Naya was working with Ethan. And it was very solid proof. In this case, it's a little nebulous, but who else would have been able to do it? Yeah. Well, there you go. All right. So Alex, he goes now, now he's got the key. He goes down to the wine cellar. He's going to try to figure out what the hell they were doing. And he finds liquid and broken glass, and he becomes suspicious. He also notices that a bottle has been incorrectly replaced, the one you mentioned, Tom, that they couldn't find the same uh, vintage year. He's now suspicious of what Devlin and Alicia were really doing. So that's a problem. And it's going to be his problem. <laughs> yeah. So Alex goes back upstairs from the wine room, and he goes to his mother's room instead of the bedroom with Alicia. Yeah. And he tells her what's happened and that he suspects that he's married to an American agent. Yeah. And then we get a shot of Alicia just sleeping in her room. Yeah. I love how the mother looks in that scene smoking and it's like, oh, man, did she look evil. She was terrific. Oh, man. Well, this is, this is you know, a 
this is Alex having this conversation with his mother, kind of hat in his hand. Mommy, I did something wrong. Yeah, dominant, dominant mother yeah. there. Ooh-ah. So what? what is it with these mother-son relationships in the Hitchcock movies? I mean, North <laughs> by Northwest, Psycho, I mean. Well, clearly Hitchcock had a very strong mother because strong mother characters keep uh, yes. surfacing. And my favorite is probably just Jesse Royce Landis in North by Northwest because, yeah. you know, she was like, I think four years younger than Cary Grant. Yeah, something Only a few like years that. older maybe, but yeah, they were close in age, but she was They're very close in age. Terrific. And um, yeah, she was maybe born 1900. He was born 1904, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 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 you know, I mean, but uh, Roger or Th- Roger O. Thornhill's mother is a very strong character, and she's yep. very skeptical. And Roger actually drags her along on some of his adventures, at least in the first half of the movie. Yeah. And you know, it's and 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 of course, it's psycho. It's like the mother is like you now totally dominant. Even even after she's dead, she's dominant. She <laughs> she like inhabits you know the son's body almost. Yeah, yeah. So, so Hitchcock clearly had a thing about mothers. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he keeps, keeps coming up. Yeah. And Alex's mother in this, uh, in, in Notorious, boy, she now has got to figure out how they're going to get rid of Alicia. Yeah, actually, I just looked it up. Jesse's, um, Jesse was eight years older than Cary Grant. Eight years. Okay. Still pretty close. Definitely not old enough to be his mother. Yeah. So now we fear for Alicia, right? We know, hey, they're on to her, and the mother is involved. You know something bad is going to happen to Alicia. They don't want to just kill her, she said. We got to do it slowly so she maybe she'll get sick and eventually die. And that's what she does with the poison. So Alex tells Alicia when they're out on the patio, well, drink your coffee. Uh, it's getting cold and so on. And this brings us back to Devlin telling Alicia to drink the Alka-Seltzer or whatever it was in that class. And she does. And here she does it again. She drinks the coffee. And we know there's poison in the coffee. So there's a close-up of the well, cup. You, yeah, you know you know, there's poison because of that close-up. Yeah, right? the close-up of the, of the cup and everything else. And she's not feeling well. And this goes on several times as they're slowly poisoning her so that eventually she'll die and it'll just look like she died. And then they don't have to tell Alex's cohorts that he was married to an American agent, which would not be good for Alex. <laughs> That's true. Uh so we, we also have to remember that her father killed himself with poison. That's true, too. Poison so again. Right. Poison's a big part of this. And alcohol is poison. So she's been poisoned many times before. Yeah. <laughs> now, the alcohol, she knows she's taking. But yeah. here, right. she's taking the poison herself, albeit she doesn't realize it. Right. On Mission Impossible 2, Naya injects herself with the virus that can kill her. And it makes her very ill, and she gets more ill as time goes on, yep. just like Alicia gets more ill as time goes on here, Yeah, too. but Naya did it knowingly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. All right. All right. So let's let's go ahead and skip ahead. There's some there's some back and forth of scenes establishing that Alicia's sick, okay? And we see Alicia sitting with Alex and his mother, mm-hmm. and Dr. Anderson tell her, tells her that she looks sick, and she, goes, and she should go see a doctor. He suggests that she comes with him to the Amoreus Mountains, which are in Brazil. Mm-hmm. And those mountains actually are in Brazil. Mm-hmm. And she asks if he's going to Leopoldina. And he says no and starts to say Santa Ma, and Alex cuts him off. 
Now, the Amareus Mountains are real and in Brazil, and Leopoldina is actually a town not that far from there. But I found nothing that says uranium is mined there. Yeah. Right. Well, one has to believe that uh, calling out the town of Leopoldina was a nod to the actress playing Alex's mother. Because uh, uh, what? She was, that was Leopoldine? Yeah, Leopoldine, yeah, Leopoldine Constantine. Constantine. Yes. Yeah. And there's a, there's a shot in there that's very cool. It's a close-up of coffee cup with Alicia and Dr. Anderson in the background with both of these people and the coffee cup in focus. Mm-hmm. That got shot by using a very large coffee cup. I was wondering oh, okay. how they did that. Because oh, how were you going to get on a close shot like that? How were you going to get both ends in focus? Yeah. Okay. So it's a great scene because Dr. Anderson is reaching for his coffee and he grabs Alicia's instead. And Alex and his mother try to stop him from drinking Alicia's coffee. He's like, no, no, don't drink that. That's Alicia's. You know, it's like, ooh. Even now, Alicia's becoming suspicious, thinking, what the hell is that all about? Because they know, of course, her coffee's poison and they don't want to poison Dr. Anderson. Although, probably wouldn't have killed them at that point because they're slowly poisoning her. But she, so she's feeling bad, Alicia. And she tries to walk to her room, and she passes out on the floor. That's a great, great shot when she collapses at the foot of the stairs. They carry her upstairs, and Alex tells Joseph, remove the telephone from her room. She can't have any interruptions and so on, which is important when the phone is gone. All right, we'll skip ahead a little bit here. Devlin shows up uninvited, of course, to Sebastian's house, and he tells Joseph that he wants to see Devlin. But Joseph tells him, hey, Mr. Sebastian's in a meeting, and that Alicia is sick in bed. So when Joseph goes to tell Mr. Sebastian that Devlin is here, he's told that Alex will be there in a moment. He'll come out and see him. In the meantime, in the meeting that he's having, Dr. Anderson is telling them that he's been followed. So another little mystery going on here. Devlin stops waiting, and he goes up to see Alicia. Yeah, so wait. So the fact that he says that he's been followed sounds like their cover's blown. Yeah, something's gone wrong. Everybody's on edge about the cover being blown. Yep. Yeah. So anyway, he sees she's not feeling well in there, and a, a lot of other stuff had gone on in, ahead of time and so on. And he's going to try to get her out of there, and he's trying to encourage her to get up and make her walk. And so Alex it leaves the meeting now, and he comes up the stairs, and he sees that Devlin is there and has Alicia, and he's trying to get her out of there. Not good for Alex. So they all start walking down the stairs, including the mother. This is a great scene, and it seems like there's a 100 stairs now because it takes so long to get down these stairs. So they're coming down these stairs, and his associates come out and say, oh, what's going on? What's wrong? And then Devlin says, Alicia's sick. He called the hospital. And so now they're all walking down the stairs, the mother, Alex, Devlin, and Alicia. And his associates are thinking, wait a minute. Joseph took the phone from her room, so... He couldn't have called the hospital from a room, so something is up here. Now, the look on Claude Rains' face, again, is spectacular here. You know, they walk out to the car. They get to the car, which, if I were the associates, I don't know. I, I may have stopped them <laughs> and said, hey, you know, you're not leaving either. But maybe they didn't want to blow their cover. But they get to the car, and Devlin is clearly driving off without Alex. He's not going because he was going to go to the hospital with her. That's what they said, right? And now he realizes, I'm stuck here with my associates who now suspect something bad is going on. So it's time for him to face the music. His partners call him back into the house. This is great. 
and Alex slowly climbs the steps to what is certain to be his inevitable death. He goes inside, and the door closes on the house, and Alex's life and the movie. It's over. It's fantastic ending. I thought it was a brilliant way to wrap it up in a few seconds. Boom. Yeah, so now we got to do some tiebacks here to some other movies. So Devlin doesn't kill Alex here, but he's no. going to be killed by his partners. Now, I did find it interesting that Devlin stupidly dropping that bottle of uranium off the shelf almost caused Alicia's death and is certainly causing Alex's death yes. to be accelerated. So his boneheaded move actually almost caused two people to lose their lives. Yeah, but he doesn't anyways, mind Alex losing his. <laughs> yeah. Now... In many of the Mission Impossible TV shows, for instance, the one where they had the melting gold, the guy who gets it in the end is taken care of by his own people, not the MI team, right? And like in this movie, Sebastian is going to be taken care of by his people. Devlin doesn't have to take him out. Yeah. On, on, on Mission Impossible, either Briggs in the first season or Phelps thereafter manipulated events so that the person they wanted to take out would be killed but yeah was not at the hands of an IMF agent Yeah, in the Bond movies Daniel Craig started a trend of not killing the movie's villains in some of his films in Casino Royale a Schiff is left to be killed by the people whose money he lost and even though he grabs and tortures Bond Le Schiff is killed by Mr. White similarly in Quantum of Solace Bond doesn't kill uh, Dominic Green but leaves him for uh, you know Whoever to deal with. Yeah, but... It, he leaves them in the, in the desert with well, it's, a bottle yeah, of oil. It's, okay, well, actually, oil. He, it's both Dominic Green and Yusuf. At the end of Quantum of Solace, he leaves Yusuf alone in the room. And okay. He walks out and has a conversation with them. Right. So, really, it's, you could say he doesn't kill either Yusuf or Dominic Green. Yeah. yeah. I love yeah. the way he leaves Dominic Green in the desert. That's yeah. great. I love it. All right. And, and, and Inspector, you know, uh, uh, Bond... Yeah. Some would say stupidly didn't kill Blofeld. Yeah. But anyway, but yeah, but true. You know, he, he left. Yeah, him because to be it, let, it let those two idiot writers come up with that stupid movie, No Time to Die. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, some people like it more than that. But yeah, there were some holes. Anyway, yeah. there, there you go. There you go. All right. We've decoded a great Hitchcock movie, Notorious, and found some nice connections to other spy movies as well. We want to thank Bill Koenig of the Spy Command for providing his insights in another discussion of an Alfred Hitchcock classic and hope to have more discussions with you, Bill, in the future. Thanks again for having me. I appreciate it. Our pleasure. Our pleasure. All right, that's a wrap. This has been Dan Silvestri. From Tom Pizzotto. With SpyMovieNavigator.com and our show, Cracking the Code of Spy Movies. Tell your friends about our show through your own social media posts. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram, too. And subscribe right now. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it.